Well, hi everybody, and welcome to a slightly delayed, I think it's fair to say, episode 15. It's like our set intro for every show now. Welcome <laughs> to it. We can call our show the slightly delayed podcast. Uh, yes, good to be back again in front of this here little microphone, uh, isn't it, Paul? Yes, um, we're sorry we've been away for a while. We've got some good stuff for you today, though, I think, Pete, would you say? Yeah, I mean, we'll leave that up to the listener to decide, <laughs> but but yeah. Well, on I paper, would like to listen to this show. On paper, we do, and for you know many reasons, but one in particular that stands out, coming up on the show a little bit later on, we're going to drop in the interview that we managed to grab with director James Weber. He's directing, or has directed, I think they're in sort of post-production now, a short horror film, a bit of departure for him, uh, called The Prey, and we had the chance to sit down with him and his leading lady, a uh, uh, lady by the name of Rebecca Van Cleve, uh, midweek last week. So that ep- uh, that interview, excuse me, will be included in the middle part of today's show. Before that, though, we're going to get to a couple of... Uh, well, one of them's an event, one of them's kind of an outreach as We mix up the order a little bit this week, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we've decided to switch things around a little bit so that we can give a uh, real focus to that James Webber interview because he's a guy that we're, we're really sort of keen on both personally and quote-unquote professionally on the site. Uh, we've given a lot of attention to his previous two works, Soror and uh, Driftwood. So, um, yes, that is to say, before that, we've got a couple of little features, things that we wanted to talk about. Then we'll get into a feature review. This week, that's going to be It Follows, a rather creepy and haunting horror film that I think at least some of you are going to be well aware of already. That kicks us nicely into the James Webber interview. Coming out the other end of that, we will run down all the things that we've seen recently, which is a ton at this point, because it's been three, three and a half weeks or something like that since we sat down to record. So, um, there, yeah, that just leaves me to say, Paul, how have you been in the last three three and a half I've been very weeks? well. I will have to say I've, I've been doing some things and watching some films without you, Pete. Yeah, um, that's so, probably I... fine. Um, that's probably fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, for my part, I think I've found most of my film watching's taken place outside of the cinema. Um, that was a really good podcast, by the way. Anyone else? Cross promotion outside the cinema. I don't think they're doing it anymore. But um, yeah, mostly it's been home streaming and, and stuff like that. Tons of it. But I've, I don't know. I've been a bit reclusive recently and I haven't ventured out to the to the pictures that much whereas you Paul have got all in amongst the uh, social well scene. There's, there's there's a couple of things I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about um one of which is a very interesting uh, group of guys called the Outward Film Network um there's going to be a piece going up on the site very shortly with an introduction piece about what they do essentially they are looking to connect not low budget independent filmmakers they're looking to connect zero budget filmmakers in more of not not so much in a forum just in just connect them really so ideas on how to make films the idea the idea being they're going to be working with us to do some blog pieces about the state of zero budget filmmaking the challenges they face any advice that they can give each other it seems like a really really kind of nice idea so so to take the side of um, the uninitiated here uh, and i guess i'd include myself in that to a certain degree when you say zero budget filmmaking i'm expecting that you mean very very small budget because obviously there's got it's to be somewhere some between, kind somewhere of between very very small and sort of self-funded stuff so yeah. they can probably tell you a bit more about the there is there is probably a tighter description of zero budget filmmaking that but certainly from my understanding of, of what they do is kind of self-funded stuff but what you mean is you know when you hear that uh, uh, that uh, there's a low budget 
budget horror film that's available, you know, in a multiplex and you find out it had like a five to ten million yeah, dollar what, budget. What we're it's about, not that. What we're, the kind of films that, that these guys are talking about are films they essentially would fund themselves or have a very, very limited budget that they maybe have funded from a credit card or, or that right. kind of thing. So we're talking like Kevin Smith Clark's kind of kind of budget, so completely self funded stuff, and then you can you can find them as I said. We hope hopefully be doing some work with them in the future in terms of blog posts and that kind of thing. You can follow those guys at the moment. They've, they've got a Twitter presence, uh, which is at Outward FN. So that's at Outward FN for Film Network. So um, certainly check those guys out if that's something you're interested in. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'll, I'll drop this in here tantalisingly, I'm sure, to everyone, but we had a little opportunity recently and sort of floated around an idea about making our own little uh, short-form documentary film. Whether whether that will come to fruition or not, we'll wait and see, but it's exactly the kind of access that people have now to uh, digital camera technology, digital video cameras, uh, software that's um, cheap or readily available in shareware and that kind of thing, that makes a lot of zero budget filmmaking possible mm. right in, in 20 years even 10 years in the past it just wasn't filmmaking in general just wasn't accessible in the same way um, and so I think it is exciting to promote projects that really try to find the the best talent in the field of, of zero budget and, and we've seen funding. we've seen some great zero budget projects come through the side yeah and we've um, seen some absolutely terrible ones as well but this kind of forum is the way that those talented people that exist have a way of, of getting together and communicating mm. like you said earlier sort of sharing ideas and tips and, and things like that so yeah for, for hobbyist filmmakers and just um, people interested in filmmaking in general I think that's a, it's an interesting mm. but yeah as I project. said as I mentioned earlier we'll have, uh, we'll have the first the first blog article from Outward Outward on the site very shortly so um, the other thing I was uh, lucky enough to be invited to, thanks to thanks to one of the guys from Cheltenham Film Society who actually listened listened to this very podcast uh, and was kind enough to invite us along to a screening of Ron Frick's sort of arty documentary now, kind now, of film, Samsara. Now, now caveat at this point, I chopped down with a caveat. You did have to pay to get in, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, so like less of that. If you're going to invite us to things, make sure that there is no door fee. But, you know, wealthy as we are off peddling our free podcasts, uh, Paul was flush and went along to this thing. So, yeah. It was only a fiver, to be fair. No, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm joking, obviously. It's a really low price and it's, what, a fraction of the price of the mainstream cinema now. As so, well. before I touch on the film, I think probably go back to the actual event itself. It was at the Bacon Theatre in Cheltenham. We always say not a lot happens in Cheltenham, so it's quite important to... Isn't the Bacon Theatre in Gloucester? No, it's over Cheltenham. It's in Cheltenham. Is it really? Yeah. How far away is it from here? From we didn't from strangers, <laughs> from strangers headquarters. Yeah, it is about a twenty-five minute walk. Oh, not bad. Well, so, um, Cheltenham yes. Film Society. So, we're going to be regular guests. As we said, it was a fiver to get in, but actually, when you get in there, the screen itself is massive. The sound is really good. Uh, it's the seats weren't that comfortable because it's a school theatre, but it was a very well attended event. Bring a cushion. They've already got cushions. Oh, they've maybe, got cushions. Oh, bring some more cushions. Bring a, a supportive back device. <laughs> you know, whatever you need, guys. I don't know why you're, you're so indulgent, the audience of this show. But it was, it was, it was a well turned out event. The welcome I got was very friendly. Um, yeah, it was. I'd say if you're in Cheltenham, they show they show an interesting selection of films, more art house stuff than commercial stuff. And I wouldn't. I'd say I think it's fair to say you're not likely to see any sort of classic horror genre pieces or that kind of thing in there it's very sort of world cinema and art house stuff 
But it needs an outlet, doesn't but it? But it needs an outlet. outlet. So um, yeah, and thank thank you for inviting us. And this was, I certainly would would go again to see other film screenings there. Yeah, and so. actually, um, because as Paul mentioned, he went to the screening this time, and, and I didn't manage to go. However, it, it brings to mind a thing I was reading today about um, figures on indie releases through independent chain cinemas around the country. This was a sight and sound piece. Surprise, surprise. But in there, there was the guy, and I wish I could call his, his name to mind. The guy who is the programmer at um, the watershed in Bristol and one of the points he made which made me smile to myself was that where it was all about sort of Fifty Shades of Grey and the distribution of that and how art, uh, cinema, art house cinemas had taken on yeah. screens at Fifty Shades of Grey fine um, but he was saying we need to be sort of culture first business second not about the uh, business culture but rather the, or the culture of there was a well, combination it's a of fair point words. because you wouldn't you wouldn't expect to get to take, for example from Cheltenham I wouldn't expect to take a trip to the watershed in Bristol to see something different walk into the watershed and go Fifty Shades is on really right because there are so many places to see big release films yeah. like that and so the, the point I'm making anyway is that something like the Cheltenham Film Society or any local film society that you might have in your area if they are going out on a limb and putting on world cinema um, indie cinema whatever it might be whatever their particular uh, vibe is get along there support them because then you have access to those things that maybe your local multiplex just isn't interested in at the end of the day because it is a business and it's about churning out profits so yeah we'll certainly be along again thank you to what's the name of the guy John Moorish I think was the guy John Moorish yeah that rings a bell yeah thank you to John Moorish for for the invite and we'll certainly come along in the future and and sort of hopefully uh, promote and and help out a little bit with with that event as well and you know people have long called Cheltenham the can of South West England and this kind of event just shows that that is true and uh, yeah despite being called the can of South although that might have been Basingstoke before right? I probably tagged Basingstoke with something similar the, Basingstoke is, is the can of England <laughs> uh, move, and they can be found at Cheltenham Film Society so cheltenhamfilmsoc.org.uk so or on the if, Facebooks you can find them there as well and we'll yeah. we'll link their details in our show notes uh, when we put this one up um, show notes ha- hashtag show them notes. And, and everything it'll be all <laughs> slick and professional so, jumping from a delightful evening with... Oh, you didn't mention the film, by the way. It's quick. Uh, quick I did briefly mention the film. Sam Sara, directed uh, yeah, by yeah. Ron Frick. So, it's a bit like Philip Glass' work, kind of time-lapse stuff. Absolute, visually, absolutely amazing film. Very, very interesting film. A lot going on visually. It's it's sort of obvious left-wing politics were great with some people. It's it's a wet, It's a very interesting film whether it's entirely effective because I think over the running time there's perhaps a little bit too much going on visually for your brain to be able to comprehend everything at the end of a two hour running time but certainly an interesting film and a, and a, a great choice of a film to screen that you wouldn't necessarily see elsewhere so what you're saying is that uh, the Cheltenham Film Society are all probably massive stoners and that they put on Samsara because it's sort of uh, two hours worth of images that under the influence of the kind of drugs that they're using would be endlessly enjoyable. Right? I, would, I would not possibly call them into question. <laughs> no, I'm completely joking. And yeah, uh, but for, for anyone who's not aware of Samsara, I'm pretty sure... It's streaming on Netflix UK right now. And I think is, it's available. And is, yeah, if nothing else, as Paul says, if nothing else, an absolutely visually stunning piece of work yeah, for its entire running time. So, yeah, check that out. Um, a bit of a change of gear then to go from Samsara washing over you like a warm bubble bath to um, feature review this week. It follows. I'm going to just get this out there from 
the absolute start, an yeah. early contender for not just best horror film of 2015, an early contender for one of the best films of 2015. I'm a horror fan anyway, which I make no bones about. I absolutely loved it. Now, um, tell me if I've got this wrong. The director of this one is David Robert Mitchell. Is that yes, correct? That yes, that is correct. Good, because, um, yeah, I, I'm notoriously bad at remembering directors' names. But uh, Or citing uh, past directors. Or, that have or just confusing people's output, yeah. <laughs> um, this guy has made one feature. He's a young film director. He's made one feature previous. That was in 2010, and it was called, uh, or is called, The Myth of the American Sleepover, which I saw around the time, maybe 2011, I saw that thing and it's a kind of dreamy trawl through uh, the Detroit nightlife as seen through the eyes of a group of teenagers there are sort of four protagonists in it and the camera sort of drifts around and floats through and it's all fairly sort of incidental and it doesn't feel like it has a lot of traction but then at the same time it's a film that sticks with you more on its on its um, essence and its sort of sense than it does on any sort of narrative level now the reason I mention all that is because whilst watching it follows there's an indelible link between the myth of the American sleepover and it follows in terms of this director's aesthetic and it almost seems as what you've got here is and it's not to discredit the film in any way but it's almost like a retelling of that myth of the American sleepover but with this new added sinister following so I haven't seen uh, the myth of the American sleepover but I did read similar thing in Sight and Sound where they they were comparing the two and they're, they're kind of of the same genesis as it were like the same the same kind of origin don't make it sound films, like I got that outside <laughs> straight out of my own intellect but uh, but yeah I, I know the article that you're talking about and I and I wholeheartedly agree having seen both things mm. but um, yeah not like a big star-studded cast this thing the girl at its centre is called a Micah 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 Monroe apologies if we've butchered her name again previously seen in in one of our one of our favourite films from last year she's previously seen in The Guest Oh, that's right. Yeah, of yeah. course she was. Of course she was. Yeah. And the guest, yeah, superlative. Um, in this thing, another really strong performance, I mm. think. Um, but yeah, to set it up, basic uh, premise of It Follows is, and as we is established within about the first three minutes or something, yeah. five minutes, is that um, there is some kind of, is it a virus? Is it an infection? Is it a curse? Is it a hex? That passes from one person to the other, but can only be passed on through sexual intercourse. At the beginning of the film, two young people um, have sex with each other and the guy passes this on to the girl and then warns her, it's going to come for you now and points out that it's already on its way and the it at the centre of all this, at least in physical manifestation, can be a friend, can look like your mother, can look like your younger brother or sister. Or could it be me? Or it could be, yeah, anyone from your life or any stranger from the environment around you. So immediately there's this really sort of um, uh, strong knot in your stomach about the fact that in every frame of the film, anybody around the protagonist from any direction might at some point turn all dead-eyed and start walking slowly, sort of in a measured pace. In an absolutely terrifying way. Just straight at them. There's no running, there's no hunting, there's no throw... Well, there's a little bit of throwing, and we'll get into that. But we'll just walk towards you, just walk and walk and walk until they are where you are, and then they will kill you. And unless you take evasive action and you move far away, then you're dead. But, But, But if you do move far away, they'll still catch up with you, 
At walking pace. At walking pace, yes. yes. Which is genius. Oh, it's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. Really, okay, buy yourself some time and they drive to the place and then you kind of almost lulled it. You're much like the characters who are lulled into a false sense of security and suddenly you're like, ah, oh, shit, it's back again. And then that whole tense, fantastic electro score, which I love anyway. Um, the sound design is fantastic. I'm going to gush about this film a little bit. Mm. Um, one of the things that I think, trying not to gush, one of the things that I think is absolutely fantastic about it is the fact... It feels very fresh as a horror film. And essentially, the it in it is just no different to, say, Jason Voorhees. Or it's it's essentially a slasher film. But by making the attacker that could be absolutely anyone, it makes what is essentially quite an unoriginal film feel like a very original film. And it's a nice twist on it to make it feel fresh. And it's not at all, but it does, it works really well for it, I think. Yeah. And I mean, for subtext fans, I know we've got a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. Obviously the great horror films, many of the great horror films are about subtext, not the actual physical enemy. You take particularly things like zombie films, which have a lot in common, I think, with It It Follows, where you've got this kind of slow-moving antagonist enemy, but they're representative of all manner of things, depending on the period of history in which those films were produced, yeah. right? Whether it's Vietnam, whether it's um, sexual, sexually transmitted diseases and, and, mm. and whatever you might like. Now, in this film, as well as obvious, the obvious read, which is on uh, promiscuity and, and uh, STDs and, and so forth, yeah. you've also got this idea clearly in the background that the thing that is coming to get you could be um, to do with issues unresolved in the past, can be about mental health, can be about um, uh, poor decisions, can be about uh, addiction, depending on... And I think this is, you know, for my side of the gushing, what works really well for me is it allows you the time to implant in your own mind what is the thing that you want to deny that's at your periphery in your life and that is creeping back towards you and unless you make the right moves could be you know in in on, in control of you again and i think that resonates with an awful lot of people on an mm. awful lot of different levels so i think that is a fantastic um sort of victory on the part of the filmmaker um i don't know if you, you basically agree with that I, that hadn't crossed my mind but as you said it yeah i think it's yeah absolutely it's it's a great reading of it and i think yeah, and that the film could then be many different things to many different people. And yeah, and I think even even going down to the promiscuity, going back to the the promiscuity reading of it, I think even though that's not necessarily original, I think it's done very well indeed. At some point, this at one point, the, the male character says, "Oh, I gave it to you because you're an attractive blonde girl. Like you'll easily be able to sleep with someone and get rid of it." And mm. then she's kind of torn whether she does or she doesn't, and that kind of kind of turns the idea on its head as well, rather than just sort of jock, jock male characters going around sleeping with everyone. Yeah, and, and I think that's interesting because I think that the film isn't, at least as far as I see it, it isn't just taking an easy shot at um, sexual relations between young people because I think actually it's quite honest about those relationships. I think that it is, though, as you mentioned, taking a shot, for example, at the lengths that, for example, young guys will go to in order to get laid. I mean, when you've got the girl who is seemingly infected and then people are throwing themselves forward with all kinds of manipulative nonsense. And the guys are still... There's one particular male character that knows there is something up and kind of half believes in what's going on. And he throw, he's continuously throwing himself at her anyway. 
Is this uh, the, the younger babyface? Yeah, guy? yeah. His name's Keir Gilchrist, that actor, and um, it was great to see him again because he actually uh, came into my um, knowledge from the United States of Tara, where he played oh, okay. opposite Brie Larson as the right. children of uh, of Tara in that in that thing. But yeah, really talented actor, and he's in this throughout pretty much as a sort of best friend. The other predator. thing, the other thing that I think I, I, I forgot to mention, it's so nice to see teenagers cast as teenagers, yeah, yeah. not twenty something. That's, that's important. That sounded a little bit odd, and I, I didn't. Mean it in that way at all but it's so nice to see teenagers playing teenagers but that not, plays to that honesty not right? not 20 something um h&m models suddenly playing sort of 15 and 16 year old kids and that plays to the the honesty that i think i'm talking about in that there's if you're going to represent teenage sexuality accurately and fairly and honestly you need teenagers to be involved whether that's uncomfortable or not that's what you're representing and it's not okay to put a 29 year old in that situation no. and expect to play it off as, as it, if it's the real world because it doesn't work it's and just like when you see like you know those films about grad university um graduates or people who are going to their first year at college in america and they're like 35 years old yeah. you know, or whatever it might be and you just think well okay well you've instantly made me feel, feel terrible about so my own like, life so you know? what I like to call the Dawson's Creek effect <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not go too hard <laughs> on Dawson's Creek though because you know will it, will it be yes or will it be sorry um yeah, so I don't know what else we've got to say on this. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about It Follows. Uh, there's a new sort of um, uh, c- cinema-goers activity that I haven't been involved in for a long time, at least to the degree that I was in this film, which I'm sure you'll instantly understand. Hunting the frame. So when you watch sections of this movie, you will find yourself taking your eyes off the action in the foreground and just looking around the frame because you're looking for, is it her? Is it him? Where are yeah. they coming from? You know what I mean? You were looking like in a corner, in the bottom, in the distance, in the middle distance. And they play with that because sometimes you get characters who are walking or moving slowly and they're coming in your periphery. It blindsides you quite. It does it yeah. very, very well. And, and you think, oh, here it is. This is awful. They haven't noticed. And then they walk in and it's just someone walking through the park or some innocuous character. And also that will stick with you when you leave the cinema or when you leave your house having seen this thing because you start to look around a little bit you just notice yeah it's it, it, it's i think it's, it's and it's just one of those like one of those horror films it's just the perfect combination of being very clever in what it does but also being absolutely shit scary yeah i mean <laughs> there, there are some some real scares i mean the only um bit i'd put in the kind of not problematic but like less superlative um side to this film i think is that perhaps I'm not going to sort of spoil exactly what happens, but when it boil, uh, builds towards its conclusion, its kind of um, big set piece conclusion, I felt like maybe editing wise, it was a bit longer than it needed to be. And at, at times for me, it kind of, I admired it a great deal and I admire the filmmaking. I admire the sort of um, pushes as well into the frame and focuses on small objects and things like that. And the way the filmmaker is really assuredly sort of guiding the audience to where he wants them to go. In terms of that pure sort of visceral scare factor that you're, that you're talking about before for me I think that built to about the halfway mark and subsided a bit in the second half okay. but maybe that's because I spent so much time admiring the great work that the director was doing so I mean that's on me as much as it is on the, the film and I, I didn't share any issues with the second half for me it, it ratcheted up the tension pretty early and kept it at a high level all the way through but yeah for, for me certainly as you can probably tell highly recommended yeah and, and for me too I mean strongly recommended yeah I might have a reservation perhaps one or two reservations but it's an excellent 
excellent horror film and we see so few excellent horror films on general release let's be honest I mean they come what once or twice a year maybe the Babadook last year was a was a good example mm. but they, yeah few and far between get to this if you have the chance if it's still showing where you are for sure check it out um, I deliberately went and watched it on my own because I like to try and make these things as scary <laughs> as possible and yeah it was by and large very very effective Talking about uh, scary and effective things, uh, well, I was going to say the interview with James Weber. Now, the interview with James Weber, Weber in, in and of itself was extremely pleasurable and uh, just a lovely Yeah, so time. I hasten to add, he's, he's, yeah. and him, him and Rebecca were very very pleasant people yeah. and not, not scary in the slightest. No, no, not, not at all. And um, I hope that all of our listeners enjoy our sit-down with them um, coming up now. I will mention the only horror show side for us. We had minor technical issues um, regarding our, our internet connection on the call. Those I don't think interfere too much with the quality of the interview. If they bug you at all, we completely understand. But, you know, early days for us doing this kind of live interviewing, we will improve the situation going forward. But I think what we still got out of it, Paul, is a, a really good sit down, a really good chat with some, mm. some great And certainly I, for me, what I take from it is, is the prey is very much worth looking forward to and should, despite being a horror film, should be up to the calibre of his previous dramas, such as Driftwood and Zoror. I'm very interested to see him take that yeah. take time on it. And, and make no mistake, the reason that Paul and I are putting on this episode our very first um, interview, in-person interview, rather than sort of email questions or what have you, audio interview, I should say, is because of the high regard in which we hold James Weber as a director and where we think he is going, the trajectory that he's taking at this point in time. And so we've already highlighted Soror and Driftwood through the site. We hope that our listeners really will pay attention to the work that he's done with The Prey and see, um, you know, for themselves just how good of a filmmaker he is. And, and some of the great people such as Rebecca Van Cleve that he's, he's working with at the moment. So, um, yeah, sit back and enjoy our interview. Yeah, we're pleased to be joined by uh, both James Weber and leading actress Rebecca Van Cleve from future and upcoming short horror film, The Prey. Um, first of all, James, Rebecca, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for, for speaking to us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. So the first thing, really, I suppose, to set up the interview is just to ask you to give us a brief outline of the, the film, The Prey. But before we get there, maybe why have you chosen horror for this latest short, it seems like a bit of a departure from what you've done before. So, why did you come to that decision? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very different from the kind of films I've been making the the last few years. But I think that's the the real attraction to to making it in the first place to do something completely different. I've always been a huge fan of of the horror genre. I watch a lot of horror, um, and I've always wanted to. Um, you know, d direct a horror film. So, so this gives me the opportunity to do that. I've produced a few horror shorts, but never, uh, never Durham. So yeah, I really wanted to kind of go to town and um, kind of have some fun. Well, that's cool. Um, it, yeah, how how do you think this will go down with fans of your previous work, such as Driftwood and Soror? Because it is, as you say, it's a huge departure. Is it more of a personal project for you, and you almost don't care what people think, or are you hoping that it will appeal to the same audience? Um. I don't know. Well, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't care what people think because, you know, um, yes, it does sort of um, scratch the, the horror itch for me personally that I've had for, you know, well, basically forever. I've always wanted to make a horror film. But, you know, we do make films for 
for audiences and for people to enjoy and to watch. So you've always got to bear that in mind. Um, I hope the people who, you know, enjoyed Driftwood or Soror, um, my previous short films, enjoy it as well. Um, but then again, they might be more drama fans than, um, you know, than horror fans. So there's nothing I can, there's nothing I can do about that. But um, yeah, hope, hopefully everyone will love it. <laughs> sure. And I suppose it, it's about time really that we ask really what what is the plot or what's the general setup of the prey with uh, someone as such as yourself we've seen your previous work we've reviewed some of it on the site we've really enjoyed it but what can we expect from this James Webber horror film what what have you got in store for audiences well um what I can say because I don't I kind of don't want to spoil some aspects of it sure. but it's um it is a little tongue-in-cheek the the horror elements are done ultra seriously um but it's sort of uh basically the 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 outline of the plot is it's a couple coming back from a party on halloween night um and they're having an argument he's in fancy dress uh he's kind of dressed up as uh as dracula bella lugosi style than gary oldman if you know what i mean okay. it looks quite cheesy <laughs> um and she's made no effort at all and she <laughs> doesn't like halloween and they've had a terrible evening and they're having uh this this silly argument he ends up saying something to her that he you know was meant to be funny but was actually pretty insulting and she gets out of the car in the wrong side of town and, and decides to walk home, like all sensible people do in the beginning of horror films. <laughs> um, she draws the attention of a very shady young man who, um, you know, has has some nasty intentions. And um, he starts to follow her. And that's all I'm going to tell you. I mean, it sort of goes on from there. But it's the whole idea behind it was I wanted to play on conventions and stereotypes of kind of female characters in horror films. I I don't want to say that, you know, the, a lot of horror films don't do this now, but like, um, but there's certainly that sort of horror cliche about female characters mm. always being the victim. And it's interesting when, you know, I was discussing the project with other people and or mentioned that Becca had been cast. And um, usually the first question asked was, um, you know, how good can, can she scream really loud? Yeah. <laughs> Did I ever say she was the victim? No, and that's quite interesting. Rebecca, what so what drew you to horror in general? Have you had much experience with the genre? And so what drew you to, to The Prey? Was it this kind of different representation of women with horror films that, that engaged you with the script? Um, I think it's it's quite funny, actually, because I actually can't stand watching horror films okay. at all. Brilliant. <laughs> I've, I've never been good at watching them, but Great. the idea of acting in one has really always intrigued me, probably because I'm such a scaredy cat about stuff. <laughs> um, so it was really, I mean, I've been wanting to work with James since I saw his film Driftwood and thought it was brilliant. And um, we met up and he kind of discussed this idea with me and I was pretty hooked um, on it. And and yeah, I think I think I did fall in love with, with my character a little bit because it's, it's a very different role than you would um, 
find mainly in in horror films. Well, from, that from, whole the, from, from the test footage from the that we've we've seen a little bit of the footage, you were very very nice to send some over to us. And yeah, it does look without giving anything away, it does look like a very different role. So uh, we're looking forward to it. I think. I think we had a, a thirty eight second clip um, available, and that thirty eight seconds was enough, at least for me, and I think for Paul to to hook us into the film without knowing really anything about the machinations of the plot. So yeah, it's uh, it bodes really well, and we're we're keen to see what's next. I wanted to ask James, um, as this maybe is, and we don't want to highlight this too much because I think there, there are going to be similarities in your style from one film to the next to the next, but were there particular technical difficulties or issues that you faced in directing horror rather than directing drama or another genre of film? Not so much, because at the end of the day, I think um, the, the approach we took um was was exactly the same as as the other films and and when i say we i mean it's it's the same team that are primarily behind soror also worked on this um that it starts with characters a story making things believable you know rehearsing it getting your you know the visuals down uh, it's the same approach we we took to soror in many ways there were a few different things that i'm less experienced in that i got to have um fun with in, in this film um then if i should say fun maybe i should say uh, <laughs> new tools uh, you know came in useful but um but you know what the hell i enjoyed it so it was fun like visual effects there's quite a few um, CG shots in the film. There's a lot of makeup work. Um, we had a team of three people and they were working for a couple of months creating some of the effects, which um, was a whole new experience for me and, and really interesting actually going over to the workshop and and seeing the things they were creating. And uh, I, I had a blast, I really enjoyed it. And we're at the moment, the edits logged of the film. Um, and I'm beginning to get the the visual effects shots in, um, and it's great. You know, it's it's really uh, it's really uh, an interesting and and different experience than than I'm used to. So moving moving back to the casting and, and to to bring Rebecca back in on on this one, who who else have you got involved in? Sort of how did how did you go about approaching them to do horror? Because horror is not a genre that I don't think everyone would necessarily be keen to do. Um, so who else involved? What was the sort of what was the dynamic on set? Did everyone have fun? Was it scary, Rebecca? Or um, it was it was freezing, is what it was. <laughs> we did uh, we did three night shoots, and I was in um, quite a tiny dress, and you know, I mean, the, the crew was great on on keeping me as warm as possible, but there's only as much as you can do. But we got in uh, Sam Gittens, yes, yeah. from Driftwood. Yeah, yeah, he plays um, kind of the 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 main antagonist which I, I was very keen to sort of, I think people who read the script, a couple of people said they always imagined like a creepy old man, you know. Um, and I don't think you can make a film about stereotypes and then have that stereotype in there. Mm. And plus he does evil very well. I mean, in Driftwood, he's, he's, such, a, he's such a lovely guy, you know. You, you, you kind of want to, you know... Wrap him up in cotton wool, um, you know. Study. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to do that anyway. Such a guy, but, but then, I, you know, I saw him in um, a Sky One program called The Smoke, and he plays a steep piece of work. So he can do evil, you know. He's 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 he can be just as evil as he is nice. So um, yeah, um, it was great to work with him again. And the the role of the boyfriend is played by James Alexandru, who was in 
uh, Soror. Who I thought was um, surprisingly good in Soror, actually. I was very impressed with his performance in Soror in comparison to some of his earlier EastEnders work. I'm sure he won't mind me saying, but I thought he was very good in Soror. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll pass on your, your sentiments. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're more of a combination street kind of guy. Yeah. So is he, I think. I, 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 don't, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I mean, it's a fairly easy shot to take at the, uh, at the <laughs> soap opera actor, I, I think, on, on Paul's part. But So the question I wanted to ask, and be as honest as you can be, Rebecca, what is James Webber like to work with and to, uh, to follow on set uh, of uh, a film like this one? Absolutely terrible. No, I'm just <laughs> that's a great answer. Just joking. Um, no, he's 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 is <laughs> uh, no, he's he's one of the best directors I've worked with. It, it, the whole process was quite really easy. Um, actually, working with him, we um, met up quite a few times before we actually shot and had a few rehearsal days and um, just we kind of worked out the characters and stuff. And he and I were talking back and forth for I don't know what was it a couple months or so yeah. on this beforehand. So on the actual day. Um, you know, it just flew and was was pretty seamless, give or take. Um, and, you know, James is a great actor's director as well as a technical director. So on the day, I think it was very focused on making sure that the shots look great and um, which I'm happy with because that will make me look good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, not many notes on the day, which was great. So um, did that was that eloquent enough? I feel like as an actress, I should be more eloquent right now. No, that was as, as long as you're truthful. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, um, and there so were very that, few lights in there. Very few. <laughs> so um, going back to obviously um, Rebecca, you mentioned that you're not a fan of horror. Um, James, you said you are. What what are your what are your horror influences? I suppose it was a question to both of you. If if Becca's seen any horror films at all. <laughs> yeah, if, if you are to watch horror, what kind of horror do you go for? Well, I watch pretty much any kind of horror. Um, I saw It Follows the other night, which, what a great which I did enjoy. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Um, I like really dumb horror films. I love, you know, classic horror films. I love, you know, black and white monster movies. Um, probably my favourite horror film is the thing which I think is, you know, is pretty much perfect. I don't think there's anything that could be, you know, improved about that film. And it's not often that I say that. I'd also include Jaws, you know, even though it's not completely a horror film, um, but it does have our horror elements. Yeah. And those horror elements are pretty pretty spectacular. Yeah, those, those for me are just um, films that I've grown up with and um, that I absolutely love. And so I suppose that... um, I have had. Sorry, Rebecca, go ahead. It's all right. No, I'm just saying I have had very uh, limited exposure, but the ones I have have been, um, you know, Silence of the Lambs and classics like Halloween and Psycho, and um, and they kind of scared me enough that I didn't want to partake. Which I guess is them doing their job. Um, yeah, but well, yeah, we no. we watched a couple <laughs> different ones yeah. leading up to this to kind of. There was there was a few films which um, that were a big part of kind of the research of of this of uh, the prey, which uh, I don't know if we can say their names because it sort of spoils the direction the film no, goes well, don't, in. Don't spoil it for but, us. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll we, we spot them when we we watch. did our research. Sure. Um, so to to follow on and sort of maybe move away from specifically horror film or uh, horror film directing, James. In your position, as you are positioned right now, you're getting a bit of traction, it seems like, in the industry. People are paying attention to your work. You're getting some really good reviews. 
What, if anything, would you give as advice to maybe a, a young filmmaker um, coming up and looking to get to a position similar to your own or, or to have success in the industry? And also to Rebecca as a young actress, um, what would you advise somebody who looks up to someone as yourself as the path to follow or the way to go in order to be successful in the industry? Well, I mean, I, I still sort of see myself as, uh, you know, on that ladder, you know, um, mm. learning every day and certainly have learned a lot through this film. Um, but um, I think the most important thing I can say is find your own voice. Tell the stories that, that you know, that you want to tell. As a filmmaker, I think that's the most important thing, that the most important gift that, that you should possess you know so when someone watches your film you know it looks like your film um and it's true to the the ideas that you have um and that it's also okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from those mistakes and i think that's probably the best bit of advice i was given and it's something i've certainly um you know always taken with me Mm. Um, yeah, mm. I'm still still on that ladder too. I think that I think probably the best bit of advice that I ever got was um, from an actress who uh, I was working with, and she had just come upon some pretty great success, and she pulled me into a bathroom at a rap party and was like, "Let me tell you something. Never give up on your dreams. You know, keep pushing, keep keep fighting." I was pulling drinks in a bar for ten years, and then this happened, and mm. and if I'd given up, it mm. wouldn't have. And I think, you know, you have to, as an actress or anyone in the film industry, you have to love what you do with all of your heart and and believe in it with all of your heart. And, you know, for every person that that says that they want it, there's 10 other people out there that want it even more. So really just love what you do, believe in yourself and work your butt off to get there. And um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and make friends yeah. with people like James Weber. <laughs> <laughs> there's your, there's your takeaway from it. <laughs> That, that, that question um is there any any plans to work together again any plans to return to horror for for a future film or would you would you perhaps go back to drama james or becca would you do maybe do another horror project outside of working with james what's next well, we've been talking about doing the prey too but we're, we're <laughs> making have... it into a web series <laughs> okay, it would work quite well as a web series kind of the concept i think but um yeah, it depends um, really on uh, funding because <laughs> it's the kind of idea that needs, you know, a, a little bit of backing. But yeah, I mean, um, I've, um, I'm in the process of writing a, another film, a drama. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of like my version of like a romantic. If, if you can imagine such a thing, it's like my version of like um, a Catherine Heigl romantic drama. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Um, but of course, which means it'll be nothing like that. Um, and it'll be really depressing and really unmanted. Um, but yeah, it's kind of set in the world of, of dance, um, which obviously there was a bit of a crossover with that, um, with Soror. But um, yeah, yeah I, I kind of want to do something very sort of down and dirty and, you know, just with um, no money uh, and make a very sort of intimate film kind of kind of like the films i used to make um but you know with the same team that i've been working like with dance, the last that kind of thing or... yeah sort of but just much much better okay <laughs> <laughs> um yeah <laughs> Uh, you know, there's there's my um, my views coming in. So, uh, really, on uh, on there. <laughs> the, the, returning to the prey, the the final big question that we both have over here at, at Strangers is: 
What, if anything, can you tell us about the release schedule, the timetable for the festival circuit, for uh, online availability and so on going forward from this point? Do you have dates uh, available? Uh, we do, yeah. Um, we were very lucky in when we were putting the, the budget together and finding money and things like that, that we actually pre-sold um, the distribution rights on the film, which right. um, I believe is fairly unusual for a short film. It happens to features all the time, but for mm. shorts, it's... Um, it's it's not particularly well known. The good thing about that is it means by the end of the year it will be publicly available online. But we're looking to do a kind of a limited festival run before it goes online. So okay. we'll be looking at, you know, really great genre festivals like Fright Fest, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I'm I'm a big fan of that festival. Lots lots of you know like uh, Brussels, they they have a huge fancy horror film festival sure. um, stitches i think i've said that wrong in in spain is, uh, is another <laughs> big one um and you know yeah fantastic fest um and then hopefully online it'll be nice to be able to sort of share it mm. widely um because i don't often get to do that um certainly online with my my short films yeah we'll yeah we'll make sure obviously that we link to the website with the the podcast episode and with the write-up of the film when if and when you know we have availability uh, ourselves yeah i think that just leaves for us to say um thank you so so much for taking time out to do this interview with yes us, thanks really. to both of you it's um it's yeah very very good of you to, to spend your time talking to us <laughs> yeah. no thank you great thank you and um yeah we look forward to seeing the film in in full we're really excited especially having spoken to you about a, a few little tidbits today and we'll be sure as we said as we said to write it up and make it available through strangers in a cinema as well so yeah um james and rebecca thank you so much yes thank you both cheers guys so that brings us to things what we have watched and stuff which <laughs> i know you hate and are desperate for a new title for this yeah, segment like if anyone's got a suggestion like a snappy suggestion for a way of because there's another show not mentioning any names and they call their thing uh, flick fashions it's quite a smart idea because it's like flicks and you confess them flick fashions anderson and brian is nice what have we got? We need to think about this. Or We've more got so, films what we have watched and stuff. Yeah, films what we have watched and stuff is all right, but I don't think <laughs> it's uh, going to make my six of the best titles for segments list, which we're going to do soon. <laughs> yeah, but, but all the other six of the best that we always say we're going to do and don't do. I've got loads in the <laughs> in the chamber. I just need a chance to shoot them. So films what we have watched and stuff because we don't have a better title at the moment yes yeah, start us off get us out of this quagmire <laughs> what what have you seen uh Chepi. oh Chepi. and that is Chepi. all you're going to get from me for Chepi. south african accent you know, oh actually there we go south african accent oh all these people all our south african listeners are turning off in their ones so uh Chepi. uh chappy my director neil bloomkamp um you haven't caught up with this yet have you Pete? well you know i haven't for a specific reason I um, am a very caring and considerate person, and I have another half, uh, uh, my other half, I guess that's what the kids are saying these days, <laughs> the kids, um, and uh, she's expressed some interest, at least I thought so, I held off for ages, and now uh, it seems like that all that interest has been withdrawn, and so I'm left to try and catch it before they take it off at the cinema. I'm really keen to see this, because it's got in it Yolandi and Ninja out of, uh, out of the Amphort, who I was kind of keen on a couple of years ago. Apart from that, Neil Blomkamp's an interesting director. I kind of liked his stuff. It was on our list of most anticipated films of 2015. It was. Uh, Dev Patel's in it. He's very good. So, you know, these are all tick 
tick, tick, tick. Is it, you know, gold star, five out of five, amazing? No, I think you're going to say no. You've paused. I would say, it's pro- for me, it's probably a four out of five, uh, which puts me at odds with a lot of other reviews that I've read of it that have, that have been quite, I think, unkind to it um, in in many play- in many ways. Um, I get the, the negatives out of the way first. It does feel, at times, almost like a retread of District 9. There's very similar elements to District 9. And if, if you've seen District 9, the, the kind of twist at the end you will see coming a mile off and I won't spoil it and is the, is the short circuit thing fair because a lot of people bandied about like it's it's short circuit but remade it's not actually I think it, okay. I, I don't I think that is unfair I think it's it's more serious in tone in places than short circuit um, there are similarities of course if you make a film about a robot that sort of can becomes conscious stuff. and can do stuff there is going to be comparisons to short circuit but then no one seemed to mind when Wall-E came out and Wall-E was essentially short circuit so I don't really yeah, understand it was the... very pretty and it was made by Pixar well so yes Bullet, bulletproof critic proof Pixar yeah. uh, but that's a whole nother Pixar Paul make lovely films which they do <laughs> but if you're gonna I, I don't think it's fair to compare Chappie to yeah fair enough so, so okay. yes the influences are there um, but yeah it's it's a very very enjoyable so film. what's to recommend it if those are the drawbacks what's to recommend this thing um, because okay t- take a, a few a quick hits first of all Yolandi and uh, Ninja that I mentioned if people don't know they're the South African rap group uh, duo who are casting this thing fairly central roles I think um, are they just terrible actors do they ruin the film how again, are they I've, again I've read and people have been telling me well you know what did you think apparently those the South African rappers ruin the film I don't think they do they're not amazing but they've got they they make they make you feel a little bit different. They've got certainly got character about them, and they, they yeah. And I think much like District Nine, it's refreshing to see something set in South Africa. And I quite like I quite like the fact it's set in South Africa. Again, it does feel like a reach of District Nine. I think is my biggest criticism of it. But what it does well is I, I quite like Yolanda Ninja. I thought they, they they certainly had some personality. Neil Blomkamp, damn, does that man know how to do set pieces? Mm. And once again, the sort of the big the big action beats in Chappie do not disappoint. They right. are awesome, and the special effects, much like in the the genuinely I thought disappointing Elysium, but again again like Elysium and like District Nine, the film visually is stunning. Chappie himself is almost a flawless visual well, effect. The boy, the boy Blomkamp has said since that he got Elysium wrong, as far as I understand, but that he's not satisfied with the, with the finished product. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it's interesting in, in light of that to sort of look at where this has gone, and I wish I had a chance to see it sort of join in on this thing. But um, would you say then, from, from all the good that you're saying about Chappie, do you think it's like an early runner for, if we were to make a top six to ten of the year come the end of 2015, do you think this is in contention at this early stage? Or it was going to get like an also ran nearly. For me, I think it'd been also ran. I, th- I do think people have been unfair to it. Um, I think Chappie, as well as a character, is, is is a very engaging character. You, it's hard not to it's hard not to sort of understand where Chappie's coming from and and re- really engage really engage with him as a robot. Interestingly, played by Charlotte Copley, which I didn't realise when the when the first when the film was first first announced. The end again is a bit probably much. It's hard to it's hard to talk about the end without ruining the end, and I really don't want to do that. But it yeah. just gets a bit. Seems to me. I mean, I know it's a film about robots, but even on that basis, the end feels a little bit silly. A lot to recommend. Well worth seeing on the big screen. Cool. Not pro- perhaps not the film I hoped it would be, but certainly not a bad film. Cool. 
Um, get into something that I've seen to just to flip it back on you something that I've seen that I'm pretty sure you haven't uh, up to this point it was not a competition but you know uh, for what it's worth that is the drop um, the drop which got a bit of attention given that it is possibly James Gandolfini's final role or at least one of his one of his last last, films, yeah. last but you know it's often difficult with is this the one with schedules. Tom Hardy as well yeah this I is, really wanted to see this Gandolfini, I still really want to watch this film Tom Hardy so, um, so I'm not going to obviously spoil anything too much but um, yeah we've got James, it to me, James Gandolfini it to me. Tom Hardy it's directed by a guy called Mikhail Roskam um, it's based on a short story called Animal Rescue I think is the title of the short story which funnily enough gives lends itself to diving into what I think is a little bit the problem I'll do what you did I'll steal from you a little bit the problem with the drop and then I'll get to the good stuff about it the problem here um, as I see it is a bit like what I thought was the problem with um What's the one with the killer whale and Marion Cotillard? Rust and Bone. Rust and Bone, yeah. Um, which is like visual themes that are very overt. So in this one, you have um, Numi, lovely Numi Rapace, who we all know as the original girl with the dragon tattoo and the girl from, um, yes. Uh, Prometheus? No. Yes, Prometheus, thank you. <laughs> it's a good job I have someone else to fill in <laughs> names and titles. Uh, yeah, from P- Prometheus. She is lovely here. However, Tom Hardy is like Tom Hardy turned up to 11 where he is so underacting and subdued and calculated that a bit like he was in Lawless a bit like he is in a lot of stuff I like Tom Hardy but but sometimes I think that can get a bit trying he does so little that sometimes that can be incredibly effective and sometimes a bit frustrating I think in um uh again you're gonna have to help me out uh driving in the car he's Welsh Lock. Lock. Yes, thank you. Look at this. It's like a little game. Wow, this could, be, this could be the strangest in a cinema game show. <laughs> um, yes, in Lock, I think it works really well. Here, um, he takes in an injured dog, but sim- simultaneously kind of takes in an injured and battered woman in the form of Numira Pass, who's experienced some um, domestic violence and troubles in her life. And the two storylines of the recuperation of the dog and the recu- recuperation of Numira Pass's character are played, yeah, alongside one another for the duration of the narrative and become slightly sort of leaden and heavy-handed and like, I get it, the dog is injured and you're helping the dog and you're showing care and so on. Um, this is a very humorless crime-riddled, gloomy world, and the filmmakers are very sort of comfortable and pleased with the fact, I feel, that it is a gloomy, you know, world of, of very very little light and levity. Um, that will go down incredibly well with some people. I think some people can't get enough of this sort of crime world, underbelly business. For me, I wanted a bit more to just lift me during this film and to show a bit more humanity and a bit more um, heart. So it's a little bit too bleak, then, would you say? It is bleak, and it's a bit... It's a bit... It's like the, the filmmakers are trying to synthesise a certain bleakness and a certain urban realism that in doing so shows itself to be fairly synthetic, I think. Some of the lines are delivered so off the page, they're so written to sound cool and memorable mm. that, for me, they just don't chime with on any sort of human level. Having said all of those things, um, it's, yeah, it's uh, the good side of all that is a gritty crime film with some strong James performances. Gandolfini. Gandolfini is really good. Um, yeah, you know, the guy was such a great screen actor. We knew him mostly from things like The Sopranos on the small screen, but it's such a pity that he got so little time to work on the big screen because in things like like this and um, 
I'm uh, no, oh no, I'm going to do the same thing with titles as well. Not whatever works, but the one where he's with uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus and there's massages going on. I know the film you mean, but I'm sorry yeah. for the title as well. Look, type that into your IMDb yeah. keywords because <laughs> yeah. that for me was the best of James Gandolfini at the cinema. Anyway, yeah, to wrap this thing up, um, it's gloomy. It didn't totally work for me, but it's kind of cool in inverted commas and a lot of people are like that. Um, Paul, what have you got? VHS Viral. Have you right. seen this one? I, you know what? I haven't got any... How many VHSs have you seen are there? Three VHSs. I haven't seen any of them. You haven't no. seen any of them. Um, the VHS series, for those who are not aware of them, is is, a, is kind of like a, found, a series of found footage uh, horror anthologies. Now, don't run away, because I've said found footage horror. Um, well, maybe do run away if I've said found footage horror, because it is very overused. It's a very overused horror cliche at the moment. Um, VHS... It's been a mixed bag as as a series of three films, and actually the first one it's quite nice to see in this case the first the first VHS was probably the weakest in fact. Um, VHS viral is, is the third part. Um, there's a selection of different directors offering offering up fan footage shorts. I think the standout one for me here is Nacho Vigalondo's um, Parallel Monsters. Nacho Vigalondo directed Time Crimes. Oh, of course, that's why that rings about. Time Crimes, fantastic. Yeah, Time Crimes is absolutely yeah, fantastic. And this this horror short is kind of it's, it's similar in a way. Um, set up, he's, he's discovered this portal to an alternative reality. But he mistake makes the mistake of going through to this alternative reality, and all kinds of fucked up shit takes place. There's also a film we make called The Contestant, really, really good. Just getting, okay. I can jump in on this director, but yeah, it, it sounds like so. It's it's the kind of thing you'd expect from him, but with VHS. They're very, very, very dark horror films in the terms of they don't hold back in the gore, they don't hold back on like the insanity, and they're they're all the more entertaining for it. Another standout for me in VHS Viral was called Dante the Great, which was directed by a guy called Greg Bishop, who I've not heard anything of before, uh, but I'd certainly be intrigued to see what else he's done. Which is basically about this sort of down and out guy who finds this magician's cape. And it actually gives him insane magic powers, and it ends with like a magician fighting SWAT teams and murdering people, and it's very, very funny and very, very entertaining. Um, they're not. There's another couple in there that that are interesting, all well-made stuff. But it's again, it's it's quite nice to see these sort of short horror anthologies. Um, coming back onto the scene because I quite enjoy them you can sort of pick up yeah it's a nice I would imagine because I I, I know a few that you know they used to be um, god damn it with titles today wow. uh, Three Extremes for example Three yeah. Extremes that used to showcase mostly Asian uh, horror directors mm. back here about 10 years ago and I used to enjoy those things because at that time I was really big on, on Asian horror films and it would be like this kind of grab bag where you could look through and be like okay I really like this guy's visual style or ideas yeah, or whatever and, and yeah. then jump and out of that it's similar to that Similar to like the ABCs of Death, which, which I will talk about on another episode because there's a lot of there's sort of 26 in each of the ABCs of Death films. But for example, in VHS two, Gareth Evans, director of The Raid, did a sequence, and it's absolutely one of my favourite and most hilarious short horror films I've ever seen. So it's quite interesting just to see a little taste of new directors. Yeah, it's, it's a little a showcase for different yeah. people, right? Yeah. And yeah, if you're not sure exactly which flavour of horror is for you, mm. in at least modern you know productions, then check out these things. Yeah, I would say VHS Viral, viral as, yeah. again for genre fans, de- with definitely for genre fans, but I'd say worth checking out. you ever out. seen that thing, Dumplings? Dumplings no, was directed by uh, Fruit Chan, and this was on uh, Three Extremes, and it was a short, and then it was expanded to a feature. I forget have heard, forget I have the heard feature, watch dumplings. the short, oh man, that'll stick with you, <laughs> oh, oh, that'll haunt you at night. Um, okay. Jumping forward a bit of a change of pace to something called Coherence. 
coherent. I is, want to see this film again. I have read a bit again. About this. You know, no spoilers, etc. But um, coherence is the kind of film I think that you worry for it as soon as it's announced because the title so lends itself to a kind of scathing, succinct put put down from a kind of clever clogs reviewer who'll say you know incoherence or, or whatever oh, as, a, as a one word review. We would never do, <laughs> never. And and I mean that would be unfair in the case of this thing. It's really an interesting, um, interesting sort of sci-fi thought experiment of a film uh, which is basically about a group of friends who meet up in one of their houses of an evening and early on people are talking about a bit of a strange event or an important event we had the solar eclipse the other day not Mm. unlike that where there is this um, I think it's like a comet is going to be flying overhead or is flying overhead that evening and there have been some kind of reports that this is interfering a bit with electrical equipment Um, people's phone screens start cracking inexplicably is that coincidence is it not and then it's messing around with some things that are very um, sort of serious and profound level. And what you've basically got is a filmmaker who takes on the idea of uh, multiple universes and the activity, whatever it might be, it's not explained, doesn't need to be, of this comet causes multiple universes. As, the best way to explain it is that the walls fall down on the idea of the multiple okay. universes. So it's as if outside somewhere there is like a kind of um, black hole or vortex into which you can pop but you'll pop out again at a random other alternate universe like on a big wheel or something like that you're spun around and you pop out somewhere else so the people there gradually realize that something's off and they try and investigate but as they investigate as you can imagine we get all kinds of logic issues problems with continuity and time identity is uh, questioned and played with and it's one of those sort of indie um indie sort of thinking person's films that one is enjoyable in and of its own right um it doesn't go maybe as deep into the the thoughts that you might have about these issues as you might like but like when we had a discussion of inception if the the physics and the philosophical issues at the core of something like that are interesting to you, then this will be fascinating and it will really gear you up for the work of this film director to come. So yeah, I would recommend by all means uh, Coherence. Um, check it out, see what you think, take it at face value. It's all shot on like handy cams and stuff. It looks really low rent, but the, the core idea is really interesting. What else have we got, Paul, to get through? I've got something if you haven't. Well, I think that we're, we are running low on time. Oh, we've got um, limitless time. This is podcasting. <laughs> we can do hours. These people are lap it up. It's like, it's like a man who's been deprived of water for many, many days and he's in the desert and then you offer him a cup. He's going to drink it down to the last drop, Paul. doesn't matter if it's an hour and a half. I want to go home at some point. I mean, that's, that's a thing. But um, yeah, anything in particular standing out? Otherwise, I'll just whip through a couple. Um, need for Speed. Oh, need for, was there a need for watching that? No. No. Is that the, that's the review. See, like, see the thing I said before about coherence? Yeah. No need. No no need for speed. Utter, utter dirge. Uh, the Equalizer. Okay, I'll try and do the same thing. The Equalizer, a brilliant film about Denzel Washington being absolutely badass. I wrote at the time, I wish Denzel Washington, Denzel Washington was my uncle. 
equalised by the zero out of ten film, which is just the kind of overplayed, heavy-handed, like like slathered in soundtrack, boomy score, and like look how cool this sequence is in a warehouse that goes on for about half an hour. So yeah, really kind of. I felt like it was Anton Footwear trying to make Man on Fire. Yeah, it felt pretty much like the same film again. I wasn't a big fan of Equalizer. This is this is Mr. Training Day. Olympus has fallen. More recently, Shooter. The guy makes big bombastic action films. That by the end, like it started really cool, and by the end, I just kind of had a headache, and I just wanted it to stop. Um, it's unfortunate. Denzel's amazing, but I mean, he took the check, didn't he, on this? Um, yeah, I think this is very. This is average. Very average. Melissa Leo crops up about two thirds of the way through. That's something to recommend it. But yeah, it's kind of annoying. Um, what else? Oh yeah. Okay, I just want to hammer out really, really quickly documentaries because I've gone on a documentary splurge. You're still going documentary crazy. Still, I love the documentaries, man, and I've got back into them recently. So I've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, of the ones that I've seen, uh, people should check out. There's a film called Som, spelt S O M M. It's not about the battle. It's about sommeliers. Um, sommeliers being people who are experts in the world of wine, serving wine, drinking wine, recommending wine. Um, this thing just charts the um, journey of like three or four youngish guys, kind of mid thirties, who want to reach the level of master sommelier. This is the, like highest level you can get. Brackets in America. A bit like we are at podcasting. Kind of like that if you change all attributes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, you're introduced to this world that at the beginning you'll think, I don't care anything about this. It's wine. It's pretentious. It's up. It's so nice. By the end, you're absolutely rooting for the guy to go in there and identify the three reds and three whites by region and country and vineyard and year and all this stuff because you've lived with them and they're just kind of engaging human characters who are just trying to do something. And that's what a lot of us are doing. So it's, you know, universal themes um, enjoyable interesting and so on check that one out in addition uh, the final member it's the best documentary I've watched recently that's based on a penis museum uh, number one in that particular one film chart I don't think anyone needs to be said than that <laughs> yeah uh, the only thing that I'll mention is watch this if you want to see like the way the worlds of penis museums and sort of creeping mental illness converging onto a single point and that is a man who lives in America I'm not going to say anything more you'll know when you watch the film okay. uh, yeah it's it's an intriguing if if it's on, it's on my Netflix list. So. It, it's kind of televisual. It's kind of incidental, but you'll talk to people about it in the pub later. You know, um, what else have I got? Deceptive practice. Um, this documentary is uh, all around. What's the guy? Ricky J. Ricky J. TV magician. I love the magicians and the sleight of hand. I love things like the Prestige, which I think we both enjoy a great deal. Uh, things like um, House of Games, uh, not House of Cards. House of Games, the David Mamet thing from the late '80s, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I'm sold already. It's a documentary all about sort of the history of sleight of hand, magic tricks, close-up magic, and so on. Taking out some of the people that you might not like so much who are overexposed on TV. There's no David Blaine, um, but yeah really really intriguing some amazing stories look out for the ice block story because that that'll stick with you um further than that oh shout out i would be remiss if i didn't mention that i've watched a film called um, an alternative reality the football manager documentary 
I have some friends, I don't even need to name names, Lawrence, Peggy, who are so obsessed with Football Manager that I think they would go to the lengths that you find in this film, where we're kind of introduced to the world of the players of Football Manager, the the gamers, the people who are sitting alone managing low division football teams, taking them to multiple European Cup triumphs. With my current Dragon Age addiction, I can't really, I can't really, I can't say anything. You can relate, you can relate. I can relate. But getting to the point of, do you know about suiting? No. Well, let me tell you, suiting is where a football manager player gets to an FA Cup final, a European Cup final, a major game in the virtual world. Doesn't act. Hold on, hold on. Hold go, on. go. And then puts a suit on yes. to manage his virtual team at a yes. virtual FA Cup final. That is correct. Yes. Wow. So yeah, full. And I, Lawrence, Peggy, if you're listening, I bet you've done that or at least thought about it. <laughs> full suit. I've heard of in the documentary they tell about people like shaking the door handle as if it's the Queen or members of the royal family as they're introducing the players, things like that. It is a world of devoted players. One to which I was in the past a very devoted member. I've lapsed, but watching this, oh man, the temptation to go out and snap up a copy was there. It will work as advertising, if if nothing else. Um, Otherwise, yeah, I think there's a couple I'm going to hold over till next time in terms of uh, documentaries. There's Harmontown, which I know you want to get to about... um, I think, yeah, I'm very keen to watch Harmontown. The creator of Community. We'll we'll get to that one later. And Supermensch, which, um, yeah, both of those... I said to Paul before we went on, uh, both of those made me cry at some point. I don't know if that says more about me or about the films, but, yeah, look out for them on streaming. Intrigued to see if they make me cry. Um, All of these documentaries can be found on um, my recommendation list from Pete. Oh, uh, yes. I haven't got to them yet. That's true. <laughs> um, That's true. We now you can do this thing on on the Netflix. Other streaming services are available, although maybe inferior at the moment. Uh, where you can recommend films to each other, we throw them back and forward. So yeah, we'll get to and then the just ones. Don't watch that, them at the yeah, I mean, so, there's only yeah. so many hours in the in the evening or, or whatever. But um, and also, I want to get into Rafifi, which I watched for the first time. It's taken me an awful long time, but I won't do that now. I'll hold that over until you've watched it or rewatched well, it. Or that's whatever. one of those films that I've had on Blu-ray for about three years now. I picked it up secondhand for very cheap and thought I must watch this film. I absolutely must watch it, and I haven't got round to it. And you've beaten me to it, and you've made me feel bad. And I need to watch it. So by next time, I will have watched. Consider that homework for me. Um, yeah, and I'll just tack on to this for, for what it's worth, a tiny micro-review. Uh, Say When slash Laggies with Kira Knightley. Here is my potted review of that. Kira Knightley is not an aimless 20-something struggling with issues in her life. Do not believe that. And uh, What's Her Face is in everything. Chloe Grace Moretz is not a kind of vulnerable, rebellious teenager who takes her in and then teaches her things about herself and life in the process. So the film is well-intentioned, but it does not ring true whatsoever. However, Sam Rockwell's in it, so that means for anybody with any reasonable taste, you should watch it anyway, because Sam Rockwell is great. That is my review. That was Laggies. Of, of Say When. Yeah, I think okay. here it's called Say When, and in America it was called it's Laggies. Because Laggies doesn't really mean anything to us, I don't no. think. Whereas it's supposed it to be like, like to people who are like arrested development, like stunted oh, okay. development or, yeah. or whatever. Um, cool. Well, that gets us to the end of that sort of um, Pete's, quick fire. Pete's documentary corner. Yeah, Pete's uh, <laughs> two cups of tea and a fly through the documentary world. Um, so, leaves us just to say, really, uh, all the usual messages, which are... We have a website called strangersinacinema.com. Go to that and read all the things on it because they're good and interesting. And we will also put 
all episodes and any show notes and stuff up on the website. Yeah, and also just a reminder of um, Outward Film Network, the first the first blog piece from them will probably be up actually by the time you by the time you listen to this show, um, and certainly to certainly at, at Outward Film uh, at, at Outward FN. So check out for those guys. You can find us at Stranger Cinema. This this podcast is available pretty much everywhere. Yeah, we've said now. before all yeah. the all the places where you get your podcast from. I'm pretty sure it's on there. If it's not, please let me know, and then I'll, I'll try and you know send them a little email and sort that out. Um, at uh, excuse me, uh, strangersinacinema at gmail dot com is the general email. If you want to like submit any short or feature or documentary films to us, if you have any great you know essays worth of feedback on the show or any comments that you want to make, just to say once again though, thank you very much to James Weber and. Rebecca Van Cleve for appearing on this episode and for doing the interview with us. We hope to hear more from them in the future. Otherwise, and also from other other filmmakers as well. For sure, if you, want, yeah. if you want to come on the show, then let yeah, us know. And, and if you've got ideas for the kind of features or, or reviews or, or interviews that we can include on this show, then by all means, as we always say, no one takes us up on this. I mean, it's pretty slow on the uptake, but you know, I'm sure those bits of feedback are coming, and we look forward to them in the future. Apart from that, it's just for basically me, Pete, to say uh, see you very soon. It's probably going to be less than three and a half weeks next time. And uh, yeah, Paul, sign yourself off over Well, yes, uh, definitely less than three and a half weeks next time. And uh, just to say thank you very much for listening. See ya.